Thank you, Pastor Sandy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Rob, and I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time visiting us in person, we'd invite you to go to our I'm New desk in the foyer. We would love to have the chance to meet you. And if you're joining us online today as well, a special welcome to you also if you're listening via podcast or through our Mandarin translation. Uh, welcome to you as well. I want to start with a question today and to get you thinking a little bit, so bear with me. I want you to imagine for a second that you've been asked to be part of a committee of people who are going to select a missionary. You're going to select a missionary, someone who will go and take the good news of the kingdom of God from here to somewhere else, whether it's in our region or across our borders uh, to another part of the world. But I want you to think about, and I'm going to even get you to holler out online or if you're or in person here, if you're watching online, you can enter it into the chat. Um, what skills or qualities matter most when choosing a missionary? So think about it for a second. What skills or qualities would matter most if you're selecting a person who's going to take the good news of the kingdom to other people, maybe you can throw some out. The first service was lots of, a, lots of feedback. Surrender. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Good, good. Kindness. Thank you. These are good. And you're talking in church. No more talking for the rest of the morning. I'm not sure I understand. You even set off my Siri. So yeah, I want you to think about for a second the kind of qualities that matter most if you are going to be the kind of person, if you're going to select the kind of person who will go and take the good news to other people. Because today we're beginning a four-week teaching series through the Old Testament book of Jonah. And I think this is going to be really fun. I think it's going to be deeply challenging. Jonah has been pushing my own buttons, and I hope to pass that on to you at some point during this time. Now, my experience with the book of Jonah is that Jonah is one of those books we love for children. It makes a great children's story. Uh, we love it for vacation Bible school, maybe for children's ministry. We love to tell the story about this Jonah who did not respond to the, words Lord, the, the, the Lord's word properly, who was thrown into the sea and swallowed up by a whale. Now I tell you, the word whale appears nowhere in the book. The word is literally a great fish, not a whale. So Jonah is kind of a story that we love to tell for kids because it's got a big fish in it and it's exciting and there's water and uh, we kind of love to pass it on but then we stop talking about the book of Jonah once kids, I don't know, hit maybe middle school and they're getting smarter and they start asking questions like, are you really expecting me to believe that a human being spent three days inside of a fish before being vomited on the dry land? And we say, okay, no more Jonah. We'll talk about sex and dating or something else, uh, less complicated. Uh, but this, then that, this kind of ends our journey with Jonah. And Jonah just kind of lives in our little child imagination with what I would even describe as a really bad theological summary, which is basically this. Do what God says, or he's going to send a whale after you, or a big fish. And I think that's really kind of how we see the book. We've reduced it to a simplistic, theologically incorrect idea about who God is and how he will treat you if you do not do what he's asked. And I think this is incredibly sad, because I think the book of Jonah is incredibly relevant and I think even relevant for this specific time that we are in as God's people and as a congregation and for us as individuals. Because it deals with themes like running from God, avoiding God. There's been people that have been coming through this pandemic who've just been kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to get back. 
I don't know if I'm going to re-engage. I'm just not sure. I'm going to kind of stand on the sidelines for a while. This book also deals with the urgent call as God's people to be the bearers of good news to people who are asking spiritual questions. That this book might raise our evangelistic temperature as a congregation. It also deals with the age-old human problem that we have the capacity to hate people. That within our hearts, we might not call it that, we'll justify it through all kinds of other language, but we have the capacity to hate people. And even further, to hope that God's grace never reaches them. Because in our minds and in our math, they're undeserving of God's grace. And I think one of the themes that's part of this book, even though we're never going to see the words and we're never going to see the language, is that the grace and sovereignty of God is on every page and at every turn as we work our way through this book. So I'm hoping that as we go through this book and work our way, that it's going to stir some things in your hearts that call us up and call us to be the people of God in this season and in this time. And also that it'll speak to us and challenge us in areas and ways that we really need. So first, just a few comments about the book of Jonah. Uh, while it's a book oftentimes lost in our imaginations, uh, the prophet Jonah is the only Hebrew prophet that appears in the Islamic book of the Quran. It, its story is captured there. In, in Jewish practices, uh, the book of Jonah is read every year as part of the celebration of the Day of Atonement, the time when we come and pour out our sins before the Lord. The book of Jonah is read for that holiday, for that occasion. Also, if you've grown up in a Catholic tradition, you might know that September 21st is the day of the Feast of Jonah, because he's a saint. And I'll let you make your own conclusions about whether by the time we're done, you feel he is a saint. But Jonah has this larger place in the life of our faith and other faiths as well. But Jonah is a Hebrew prophet. If you were to open up your Bible, you will notice that a good chunk of the Old Testament is dedicated to the Jewish prophets. And we think of major prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And they were called major because they were long-winded and they were really long, they're really long books, 50, 60 chapters. But then there's the minor prophets, Obadiah, Nahum, Micah, Amos, they're smaller. They're called minor because, well, they're shorter. They take up less room. And all of this body of literature in the Old Testament, they have this common theme of God speaks to the prophet, a very long message, and then the prophet then shares that with the people whom God has called them to share it. And we hear lots of, thus saith the Lord's, and there's long, 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 descriptive, powerful challenging sermons that each of these prophets deliver. And in fact, most of these books are really specific about the nature of the message of God, and there's virtually nothing about the prophet themselves, which is why Jonah is so different. Jonah is the exact opposite of all those other prophetic books. In fact, if you read like Nahum and Micah and Amos, and you read them and then you read Jonah, you're going to think this is not even the same kind of writing. Because Jonah has one sermon in it, and it's eight words long. And some of you are thinking, let me hear Jonah. Eight words, let's get it over with. And the rest of the book, it hardly at all deals with the people that God is calling Jonah to preach to. It deals mostly with the person of Jonah himself. And so let's jump in. I invite you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. If you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, it's on page 1,436. You can look it up on your devices as well. I was going to tell you it's immediately after Obadiah, but that probably isn't very helpful to you. 
So let me just read a couple of verses, and then I'll make a couple of comments. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And you can read about Jonah, son of Amittai, in 2 Kings chapter 25. He appears there as well. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Because its wickedness has come up before me. Well, let's talk for a little bit about Nineveh. How bad could Nineveh be? Nineveh is kind of right across the river of modern-day Mosul. It's about two hours north of the city of Baghdad in the country of Iraq. It was a major city. We see a picture here off from Google Maps. Um, this is kind of a, a creative artist's rendition of what the city would have looked like. It was a massive city. It was a major, major city. Trade city, economic city, but they were most known for their military power because this city was kind of the first mafia. They had this thing called a tax, um, a loyalty tax. And the way that a tribute tax, the way they would work is they would kind of knock on your door if you're a neighboring nation to to the Assyrians and they would knock on your door and say, look, I've got a proposal for you. Um, You pay us lots of money every year and we won't destroy you. Or you cannot pay us any money and we will come through and we will destroy you. Any takers? And people would sign up for this. The Israelites signed up for this. And every year, the people would send gold and cattle and people, and they would send them to the Assyrian country, and they would keep the peace. And this was how they operated in the region. But if you did not pay, they were one of the most brutal nations in the history. You can read all kinds of articles about how nasty and brutal they were. They had war songs and chants as they came into your village. They would burn your houses down with you on the inside. They would decapitate children in front of their parents. One of their favorite tactics was if they captured you, they would chop off your legs and one of your arms, and while you lay there, they would come and shake your hand with your only remaining limb to humiliate you while you died. They were barbaric. They were a terrorist state. And this is the city that God calls Jonah to go to. So if you've grown up thinking Jonah was lazy, he was a soft Christian, that's why he didn't go, you probably need to recalibrate your thinking. When Jonah gets called to go to Nineveh, he was was reluctant for two reasons. First, he's fearful for his well-being. This is a dangerous assignment, probably could die doing it. And the second reason is, And this is going to be a theme we're going to talk about throughout this book. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated them. And he could not imagine how God could love these people, how he could show grace to them, how he could show mercy to them after all that they have done to others. So let's keep reading. Verse 3. So... Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo of the ship into the sea to lighten the boat. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah is my kind of a guy. He can sleep anywhere. Now, when you read through this passage, one of the things that you may not catch in English but is there in the original language is that Jonah just keeps descending. 
He goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the port. He goes down to get on the boat. He goes down into the boat. And as we will see a little bit later, he goes down further into the bottom of the sea. It gives you a sense that while Jonah thinks that he's running, the author wants us to see that he's sinking. He's going deeper and deeper into a pit. Now, Jonah's got great choices of places to run to. You can see here, he's going a long distance from Nineveh. But this is his options. He can go to Tarshish, which is in southern Spain. This is the pictures of the beaches of southern Spain. How many of you wish you were there today? Or you could go to Nineveh. This is some artwork of the Ninevites brutalizing their enemies. This is Jonah's choice. Most commentators think Jonah was either incredibly wealthy or he liquidated all of his assets because to take a trip of this length required so much money. And so Jonah runs. He runs from God's call in his life. Let's keep reading verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God and they threw their cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah responded, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will calm down. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon us. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder before than before. So they cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, and notice the language here. It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This means that they're now using the name of God. O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Or you for you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. So the Lord provided a great fish, not a whale, to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that this book has a comedic, some would say a satirical, some might say an ironic theme that runs through. And I just want to talk about a few of the, that, those aspects that appeared in these verses that we just read together. The first is this. I want you to imagine for a second. You've got in this story a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-faith group of sailors and a Hebrew missionary. And they're stuck on the same boat together. So you have these multi-ethnic, multi-faith people who all have different gods, and stuck on the same boat with them is you have this Hebrew missionary who's called to take the message of God to other 
peoples. It's the same way people feel when they sit beside me on a plane and they ask me what I do and I say, oh, I'm a pastor. And they realize, oh, how long am I stuck here with this pastor? This is the same kind of feeling on this boat. And the storm hits and it makes people realize immediately that they cannot save themselves. We are in grave danger for our lives. And they try everything they can to save themselves. They pray to their gods. They throw things overboard. They frantically try to row themselves ashore. And all of their human efforts and their pagan prayers, nothing gets better. And they're as lost as they were at the start. And the crew is now suddenly becoming very spiritually open. They're asking questions about who is your God? Where are you from? Have you prayed your prayer? Are you able to save us? And while all of this spiritual activity is happening in the lives of people who've tried to save themselves but can't, where is the missionary? He's sleeping. He is sound asleep. And as you think about that image of spiritually lost people in a crisis, worried for their well-being and worried for their lives, and the person who has good news for them sound asleep, something should catch in our hearts. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Next, Jonah, when he finally does wake up, they ask him, who are you? Where do you come from? Who are your people? And he says to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the one who made heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah sets himself apart spiritually from these people. And do not miss the irony here that Jonah, who believes in the God who made the sea, is trying to run from God on the sea. It's almost comical. He can't even hear his own hypocrisy. And before we start laughing at Jonah for how foolish he is, for, not, for missing the obvious and not connecting the dots, I remember that verse in Jeremiah that says, the heart is deceitful above all else. And that I have been blind in my life too, saying one thing and living another. Next, when the sailors who hear who Jonah follows, when they hear about his God, they're instantly afraid. They were afraid about the storm, but now the, the author says they were greatly afraid of because of who Jonah's God was. It reminds me of that story in Mark chapter 5. Um, there's an encounter where Jesus comes into a town, and there's a man in the town who had been possessed by demons, and the people did not know what to do with him because he was so violent that they literally chained him into a cemetery. And he was there, and he would howl, and he screamed, and he would cut himself, he was naked, and he terrified the local residents, but he was chained up. In Mark chapter 5, the story is Jesus comes and he heals the man, sets him free, and Mark says, when the villagers came by, they saw Jesus sitting there with the man, talking. He was clothed. And Mark says he was in his right mind. And when they saw the transformation in that man, it says they were greatly afraid. They had been a little bit afraid of him before, but now they're even more afraid at the power of Jesus to bring such transformation in this man's life. This is what we have going on here. These people were afraid because of the storm. When they see the power of God at work, they become even more afraid. And they're connecting the dots in a way that Jonah can't. That this God who made the sea, maybe if we call out to him, he can calm this sea for us. And he does. 
And I love what's happening here. I mean, there's so much irony that disobedient Jonah accidentally converts all the sailors. He didn't mean to. He wasn't trying to. But through his own hypocrisy, he accidentally converts them. He's half asleep and he's disobedient, and yet God uses his words even still to point people to him, and they're transformed. And the writer of Jonah wants us to see this and make us ask ourselves our own questions about our own hypocrisy. Now, then what they do, they throw Jonah into the sea, the sea is calmed, and Jonah gets his prayers answered. Jonah had been wanting to run from God. He'd been wanting to get further and further away. He'd been wanting to go down and go down and go down, and his prayers are answered. He's as far away from God as he can be. He's in the bottom of the sea, and his running is now complete. And the chapter ends with God who created the storm, sends a fish, not a whale, to swallow Jonah up. And we'll pick up that story later next week. But first I want to come back to the question I asked you with at the beginning. You've been called to pick a missionary. And what qualities would you look for if you were to pick a missionary? And you folks did a great job. You had some great suggestions here. But I'm guessing on your bingo card of choices, none of you had these three words. Someone who runs from God, someone who is asleep when there's a need, and someone who hates the people that they're called to serve. The author of Jonah is trying to mess with us a little bit in this presentation of the prophet trying to stir some stuff in us and help us maybe see some things in our own life that need attending. So let me just talk a little bit about these three, uh, three of these here. First of all, running. Running from God is something that every human does at some point in their life. We are sinful, God is holy. His ways are not our ways. So it's common for us to run from him or avoid him at different points and to different degrees in our life. But what Jonah shows us about what running from God looks like is that it's not done in one action. It's not something you do in one event. But rather, it's a series of small steps where we slowly and slowly and slowly and ever so subtly start to move away from the Lord. In Jonah's case, he just keeps going down and going down and going down. It's multiple steps that he takes to reach the place where he's now in the bottom of the sea. The running for God in my life and maybe in yours, if you think about it, it wasn't one decision. It was multiple smaller decisions, indistinguishable maybe at the time, but over time that creates a spiritual drift. Now we wouldn't call it running from God. We'll call it exploring our options, taking a break. We're just going to stop doing that for a while. We're just going to go over here and do this for a while, but the spirit behind it is that I'm trying to get away from the Lord's call on my life for whatever reason. Now, I mentioned to you that one of the themes of this book is the grace of God. You're not going to see the word grace or the word mercy anywhere in this book, but the grace of God is on every page. And there's no greater example than in the idea that Jonah has convinced himself that he has distanced himself from the Lord, that he has somehow managed to get out of the way and God now can't find him and God, he's beyond God's reach. 
Because what we do see as we go through this book is that God's fingerprints are all over the life of Jonah. All the while, he thinks he's running from the Lord. To the extent, as we will see in the weeks to come, that Jonah runs right into his presence. And he comes face to face with the God of grace and the God of mercy. Why is this important? Two things. First, if you're running today, or avoiding, or trying to kind of sneak off to the side and hope that God doesn't notice. His fingerprints are all over your life. And he's not going to let you get away. He is going to come looking for you to redeem you and to restore you. Second, if you have people in your life, maybe family members or friends, and you're kind of watching them run away from the Lord, don't give up hope because the Lord is actively involved in their life. And we can keep praying and coming alongside them as they go. Which brings us to our next point, sleeping. (laughs) So God calls Jonah to go and share the good news to the city of Nineveh, filled with people from different ethnicities and faith, to become a missionary. Jonah refuses, so he gets on a boat filled with people with different ethnicities and faith. And in a moment of crisis, they're spiritually aware, and Jonah is sound asleep. And we realize as we read this story, at least I do, before I get too self-righteous, is that I have been a Jonah like this many times too, sound asleep when opportunities are all around me. Quite literally, I remember a number of years ago, myself and two other pastors were invited to go to Eastern Europe and to do some training of youth ministers. So we started in Latvia and Lithuania. We kind of made our way all through the Baltic states. And at one point, we were in in Warsaw, Poland, catching a train to Katowice, Poland. And we got down to the deck to gather on the train. And the train deck was filled with hundreds of teenagers. Uh, They were going to a Metallica concert that was taking place in the same city we were heading into, so they were all decked out in their black garb and their long hair and their chains and earrings, and they were a a wild-looking bunch. And so here we are, these three youth leaders on a train platform with hundreds of teenagers. We get on the train, and we all get into separate cars. It's the three youth leaders and about nine youth all crammed into this little train car together. And guess what we did? We slept. We were the ultimate Jonah in that moment. I think the pandemic is like the storm. So I think this book is so relevant. I think it's got people shaken up, asking questions, doubting, wondering, where is God? How do I make sense of my life in this new world that we're in and all that's going on in this time? And friends, as a church, this is not a time for us to be asleep. We need to be available to people. We need to be listening to people. We need to come alongside people who are asking spiritual questions, who've been thrown into crisis, and be there to point them to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're going to be asking you during this series to be thinking about people in your life that maybe are in that season of asking questions and to be praying and looking for opportunities where God might use you to be a better Jonah. Finally, And this one's uncomfortable, I realize, and we'll keep talking about it because it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Is that we need all of us to look in our hearts and to see if there are any people or persons that we truly hate. I know none of us would come out and say, oh yeah, I hate this person and I hate that. I know it's not likely for us to intuitively think about it. But it's important as Christians that we ask ourselves this question. We live in a time where there has never been greater permission to hate people. 
Because if they believe differently than you in matters of politics or identity politics or any other social issue, there is, seems to be a new invitation rule that gives you the right to hate them. And this permission is creeping into so many aspects of life. And we see people becoming more and more divided. And as Christians, we must guard our hearts against letting any hate get in. As Christians, we should have strong opinions about things. And we should take stands on important issues. But it can never lead us to hate starting to hate anyone, regardless of how they vote, how they live, who they sleep with, or whatever. Meaning, as we watch Jonah go through his journey these next few weeks, maybe the Lord would show us something that's living in our hearts that we need to pay attention to and that the Lord needs to root out. And again, we might not say that we hate people, but we might in our hearts say, I don't think they're deserving of God's grace, which is equally problematic. Our world is coming apart at the seams, and they do not need the church further unraveling things with hatred. For God so loved the world, literally the cosmos, all things, all people, he loves. And we ought to let that same spirit invade our hearts and push out any hate for any other people. So, Jonah is thrown overboard. He gets what he wants. He's now really far away from the Lord, or so he thinks. His running is complete, and we'll pick it up next week in chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we pray that as we work our way through this book, as we think about these themes, Lord, that it would get under our skin a little bit. It would show us some things, that it would be a form of mercy and grace in our lives. Lord, today, especially if we are just, part of us is running from you, hiding, avoiding, trying to just stay out of your line of sight, hoping that we can just kind of sneak off to the side a little. That we would know there's no such thing. Where can we go to hide from your spirit? Lord, that we would know that the fingerprints of your grace are all over our lives, even now, while we've convinced ourselves that we're running from you. Lord, today we pray that you would wake us from our slumber. That this would be a time when you put people, friends, family members on our hearts to be in prayer for, that our ears would be ever sensitive to people who are in times of crisis or disorientation or their life's been turned upside down, who are maybe looking for hope that we have the opportunity to come alongside them and point them to you. And Lord, it's uncomfortable to think about, it's uncomfortable to admit, but if we have any attitude in our heart there's any person or persons that we think are undeserving of your grace. God, would you take the scalpel of your Holy Spirit and begin to remove it, that our hearts could be more completely filled with your grace and your mercy for the world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name.